Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit www.sportcalgary.ca slash members. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. I would be your host, Rob Kerr. You would know who you are. Uh, that works best that way. Welcome to uh, another uh, what I think is going to be a really enjoyable conversation with a really neat guest. Uh, excited about the podcast we have done so far. Excited about the podcast we are doing. Uh, just a little slight adjustment, though, and we'll let you know about it today. Uh, starting next week, we're going to slow down a little bit. That's been part of a bit of the feedback we've been getting is putting them out every day during the week, and uh, uh, people are, are still trying to catch up. So we're going to drop back to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule starting next week. Just thought I'd give you a heads up. Today, full disclosure, our guest is a, a friend of mine, a guy that... Uh, I have been aware of for a long time, have gotten to know a little bit here uh, in the last couple of years and, and working on some uh, and around some things that he's around. And uh, he is a great mentor, uh, a guy that every time he speaks or talks or throws his weight behind something, it's, it's worthwhile and worth noting. Um, he has a ton of experience. He is, however, transitioning out. He is uh, he is going to eventually retire. we talk partially about that in in this conversation and the challenges that the current um shutdown pause pandemic you know whatever you want to quarantining whatever you want to call it, how that's impacting them uh but really excited the dale henwood the president and ceo of the canadian sports institute here in calgary is going to spend some time with us but he is more than that he is a coach um, he is a guy that has been to Olympics, been around Olympics, and has some very strong opinions on said Olympics. So really excited to spend some time with Dale Henwood. Uh, before we do that, do want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, not sure what sports are provided in Calgary? Sport Calgary Sports Directory will help you find the sport and sports organization that's right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Gather round, kids. Let's uh, sit under the learning tree a little bit, shall we? Uh, always fun to spend some time with Dale Henwood. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's. I'm, we're, I'm good, but it's a, it's a, it's a tough environment that uh, we're all in. So, got to figure out how to get out of it. But it's, uh, it is. There's just lots of things going on that are, I'm going to say, uh, make it difficult. But no different than you guys that can't do any events and can't have any training and yeah it's uh it's a changed world yep when did you when did this come on your radar dale when did you f- first become aware that something was amiss and something might be coming you mean with covid yeah oh we went to phoenix on uh march the 5th and i would say that was the day the very first alberta um case was was announced and my and so my wife and daughter are nurses, and so I was just kind of told that we better watch what we're doing. Right. Uh, we better make sure that if we're going, we can get home. And so it would it would be kind of March the fifth, I would say, when when it really hit home. Like I think we saw what was going on, you know, in in Italy and in China and so on. But when it really hit home here on March the fifth, I would say, is when we started to look at what what our plans were going to be. And conversely, was there, you know, early on when we did the podcast, that was always the go-to question. So when did you know? Now the the next question yeah. has really become is, okay, hold on, when did it become, not serious, but, 
you know, I, I think when I got sent home, I was thinking, oh, okay, well, the beginning of April, I'll be back in the office. And then something happened by the end of March, and you realized, eesh, you know, this this isn't like anything like anything. we. This isn't like a lockout, right? Yeah, no, this is... Um this is long term and i'm 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 going to say it's you know they're even now talking the end of august um you know we we are looking at at kind of reemergent plans that might be july uh, january right so i you know no one knows we're, we're i guess we're trying to think long term but it's almost day to day that you're you're looking at yeah you, you, like i don't i don't know what the next step is let alone five steps down the road. So we got to, we got to take the next step and figure out what we're doing. And then we'll take the next step after that. But it's too tough to figure out what's going on in a week or a month or a couple months from now. Well, it's hard for a society that's based on uh, knowing the next move all the time, right? Being able to plan to being able to schedule. We don't, we're not handling this part really well. No, because we're used to, I guess be in control or we think we're in control. This tells me we're not in control. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got to re- reflect and think about what you can do. Um, and that's, you know, that that's why I, I would say it is, it is a day-to-day thing because it, it changes day-to-day or hour to hour. So yes, you got to think long-term, but it is a day-to-day decision and what we make today might change tomorrow. Just curious about what it was like dealing with, because your business is dealing with high-performance athletes, predominantly Olympic athletes. And at the beginning yep. of this, there had to be a decision made. What was it like to, to kind of, you know, oversee or work with so many people whose lives are now on hold for one year? Well, I guess a couple things. Um, a lot of the sports we deal with are winter sports. So they were kind of March and mid-April is when they're kind of taking some time off since the season. Well, although it was a, sh- a shorter winter season, but yeah. they basically are taking some time off to, you know, relax and regenerate and recover and so on. So it was a relatively normal and quiet time for us. Um, but I would say just because the facility is closed, our people are full bore. Like they're still still doing lots of, of Skype calls and mm-hmm. go-to meeting calls and Zoom calls with athletes and coaches and trying to provide some very individual and customized programs for the athletes and deliver information. It's just – so I would say we're busy. We're just, we're just doing it differently. We're just doing it remotely. By that – were you any more adv- uh, prepared than – prepared is the wrong word, but were you using technology anyway because of, of the world that you were living in? Were you doing a lot of remote meetings and a lot of Skype calls and things like that? Uh, no, not as oh, – okay. like we, we had the technology tools to do it, but we were we were not necessarily doing it. We yeah. were still used to meeting you know, as a big group or, or traveling. Um, those days are in the near future are over. Yeah. yeah. Um, the dirty little secret of, I think this conversation was you were, or are you still in the process of, uh, hanging her up here in the next little while? Yeah, no, I, my successor has been named. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you've seen that. We, we, I, I mentioned to our board back in June that, um, like I told him I'd give him a year's notice. So that was the plan. Um, we quickly engaged a headhunting firm in the, in the city and, and they went through a pretty extensive process. And as of, um, as of last Friday, we announced a successor, a fellow named Len Rhodes, who was, uh, at one time the, the president of the Edmonton Eskimos for six or seven years, 
Uh, before that, was very involved in CCM hockey, and I think before that with uh, Molson's. Um, but uh, great guy, I think has has some very different skills than our our, cre- our current people have, and so I think it's it's going to be very exciting to have him on board and kind of. Um, I've said to our staff that that um, we're now 26 years old, but um, the the future starts at uh, at 26. And are you? comfortable transitioning in this type of environment are you going to be able to do it the way you'd hoped well not comfortable it's not a good time to leave um yeah you know, i i um, i i kind of thought it would be a a smoother quieter kind of right into the sunset but um no it's straight uphill right now so that's different than expected but that's that's um yeah so so on that from that standpoint i i'm very comfortable that it's it's going into good hands but it's not the kind of not the conditions or the environment that i wanted to leave under but think, i didn't know that a year ago no well no exactly you didn't know that two months ago right so yeah, no, that's true do, so will it, do you think dale this is going to protract it a bit for you because you said you give me a year's notice june do you think that you might have to yeah. kind of leave crib notes and have a few more coffee meetings maybe into the summertime to help transition yeah, and I'm I'm prepared to do that. I, I guess um, like he's going to start on the first of June, and again the original intent was, you know, we have some national meetings and those types of things. I was going to take him to some of those meetings. That's obviously got to do it virtually now, so it's not the same. Yeah. But I've also said like I I've invested too much uh, over the last 26 years. Um, I will I will stay as long as I can make a contribution or add some value. If they don't think I can, then I. I'm, I'm fine to leave. And, and, uh, but it's basically, he will be the new CEO as of July the one. So are you comfortable talking about what you're handing over? I mean, what's the, the state of CSI as we sit here today? Well, I think we've had some great success over the years. Um, a great history. Um, I would say right now it's, it is a challenge. If you just look at what's going on in the province and for the last four or five years, there's been some, I'm going to say economic fragility to begin with. And then we have, you know, oil and oil price war that's going on. And, and, uh, so deficit is increasing, then COVID makes it worse. So it's not a financially, it's, it's going to be a a difficult environment. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think from the standpoint of how the organization runs and, and, um, and the people we have that are delivering, uh, the services to the athletes and the coaches, it's in very good hands. We have, we have great people in, you know, Sean Foote or Kara Button or, or, or Jason Poole. Um, they, they're, they're very capable and, and I think are uh, well prepared to continue to lead. Where does, where does your group fit in the grand scheme of things internationally? Who would you be compared to and, and where do you fit in those comparisons? Well, I chair an international high-performance training center group called the Association of Sport Performance Centers, which is about 80, 86 different high-performance centers around the world, I think in 35 different countries. Um, yeah, where do we fit? Um, I, we do things differently based yeah. on our context or our resources, but I think we certainly do some things that are among the best in the world in terms of um, you know, I will say how we treat our, our athletes or how we pro- provide support for the athletes outside and beyond sport. I would say some things that we're doing on concussion and 
kind of return to sport protocols um, from injuries, in particular ACL injuries, I think are among the best in the world. Um, so I think there's certain areas where we do we do very well. Um, everyone like there's there's I don't know there's 20 different elements I guess of a high performance training center, and you likely can be good at three or four of them and be equally bad at three <laughs> or four. Uh, I don't I don't think you can be I don't think you can be good at all 20. Um, certainly in the environment that we're in or with, with the resources that we have. Um, so you, you kind of specialize in a couple of areas. And I think there are a couple areas, our whole, our whole athlete intake and, and, and kind of our monitoring of athletes, I would say is another signature program that we have. So I, want, I, I think there's some things that we do very well, like yeah. comparable to anyone else in the world. So there's two areas I want to ask you about, and they're both because I've, I've seen them up front. So I'm very interested in them. Tell me about the impact and the role that, technology and and maybe data maybe data is the better word but what role that has had yeah. and impacted on what you do in maybe the past 10 years we have a whole wide assortment of data we've collected in, in particular the the physiological testing and monitoring of athletes we've collected that for the last 25 plus years um the we are just in recent years putting it into a a, a, a management system called edge 10 where once all that is in there, then you can make better decisions. So we, we had lots of information, but we weren't necessarily uh, cataloging it properly or analyzing it in, in terms of informing decisions. So I would say in the last couple of years, that's something that we really upped our game on. Uh, this Edge 10 program, really, uh, when we get all our people giving information in there from you know, physical, from mental, from, from um, nutritional, from medical, um, then, then you can analyze it and make some much better better informed decisions. And so that's, that's a real change. I guess the other change is we, we have done a lots of things in terms of sharing information, uh, through, you know, through, through the zoom or through go to meetings or through teams is a program we use. Um, that's really changed. I think the way we, we operate and we were forced to change quicker than we maybe thought, but I think that's a, that's a very interesting thing too. That's a, that's a good thing for us to try and say, how do we, how do we provide, stuff when we're not necessarily in the office um there's other issues with staying connected to people but um i i, I think in terms of delivering of service services we're 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 really uh, grabbed onto that quickly did you have to champion that did somebody have to champion that in your shop um was there you know early pushback i'm just thinking of how data and, and analytics has been looked at maybe in professional sports and there was kind of that pushback but i'm just kind of curious in in your world if if there was early adoption or if you had to do some uh, you know some bending of arms and twisting of limbs to get people to buy in um well there's some people that are early adopters some are a little more challenging i would say internally we have some you know great expertise and great people, great vision, some innovative people, they, they convinced me, I'm going to say that we should, uh, engage in this edge 10, uh, process. Mm. Um, and then they've just really worked with a lot of the sports that we deal with of the coaches and the high performance directors to show them the value of, of the, the information when they, when they have it all in one spot. So, um, you know, we, we had people at the very beginning that were, were much more savvy on this than I and could see the could see the benefits. Uh, people like Dr. Um, Eric Groves or Graham Chellis were people that really do this on a day to day basis for us. So, right. But 
they they have they've been able to convince and and I think show a lot of the sports we work with the value of of having all this information in one spot. You could answer this question going a lot further back than 26 years, but I'll leave you at 26 years. Tell me about the the, the change in the athlete. How has the athlete evolved over the last 25 years? Well, first of all, how you communicate with them is is different. It's um, you know it's it's not it's not one on one meetings like we used to have or or big group meetings. It's not uh, it's not through fax or through written letters um, or brochures. You know, it's it's today. It's it's um, and I don't even know all the all the, <laughs> the systems, but it's it's through Instagram or or. Um, you know, Twitter, that kind of stuff. They they have big followings. I think they they are they are just used to getting information pushed at them in a in a different manner. And I think they get a lot of information. I don't know, again, based on how much they get, how much they actually look at, but they they get lots of stuff pushed at them through the new technologies. So that that would be the big one. I I think the the the, the way they train is obviously a lot more better a lot better because there's a lot more expertise providing input into their training so mm-hmm. uh, it might have been just a strength coach in the past or a, a strength coach with a physio but now it's nutritionist is very involved in that and a mental performance consultant and they've got their medical their medical people with them uh, we're doing these ongoing you know physiological testing and, and monitoring how they're doing so that that uh, holistic part of it I would say has has just got much more better and much more sophisticated, and there's just a lot more expertise available to them. For those of us who rant and rave about early specialization in youth sports, do we get it? Are we on the right path? Or you know, what's how have you seen long term athlete development evolve? Well, I I still think um, I think people involved in sport by and large understand the importance of generic development. Um, my concern is the public at large and, and many parents uh, still think it's important to specialize early, but I, I would say the, the research is abundantly clear mm-hmm. that you need to, at a young age, you need to sample, you need to try lots of different activities, you need to you know have a lot of different sports that you're, you're practicing, and then later in life, and that might be you know, 12, 13, 14, but later you, you specialize. But I, I, I think it's still a, um, a big task to convince the decision maker, which is in many cases a parent, <laughs> that it's best to have their kids play many different sports and um, just develop them, I'm going to say their general athleticism, as opposed to just developing them as a one-sport athlete. And I think there's lots of research that says if they do that, you know, if they do that, and there's, so there's lots of books out like Range is a, the recent one, um, by um, Epstein, I think it was, that talks about um, the, the importance of, of generic development, and um, especially at a, at a real young age. But there's, So there's lots of research, but we have a tendency to uh, maybe coach the way we were coached or parents, parents uh, look at things the way they were coached, um, and I'm not sure that's the best way to look at it anymore. Just a thought, Dale, on what you've seen. Are we in a better place when it comes to gender equity for female athletes than we were when we started this journey? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that in Canada, we've been very, very good at providing opportunities for, you know, um, 
for male and female, for, for able bodies and, and, and those with a disability. I think we've been uh, uh, giving lots of opportunity. And I think that's why you're seeing on the, on the Paralympic side, our medals are doing, we're doing very well. If you look at it uh, on the Olympic side, um, you know, the, the number of females that are, are, are performing, um, the, the number of medals we have on the, on the women's side is a lot more than on the men's side. Yeah. And I think that's partially because we give them lots of opportunity early uh, later on, maybe other countries might catch up, but I think we are very good at, at providing those opportunities very early, early in life. What are you going to miss the most? The people I work with every day. I, I just love going to work. Um, you know, so this has been a this has been a bit of a struggle. I, I see people like I'm seeing you, um, but it, but it's not it's not the same, and no. that's the that's the thing. I, I really enjoyed um, over the years just having. A great group of people that I've been able to work with and work for. Um, very, very committed, very passionate, um, very innovative. Um, just exciting to be around. And that's that's uh, even if this was to be over tomorrow, that that's gonna that's gonna quit soon for me. And that'll be the that'll be the biggest thing. Is there one thing you're not gonna miss? Um, hmm. Well, I'm not gonna miss some of the financial challenges. Um, <laughs> That, um, Fair enough. But I, I guess, yeah, that that's um, that's just a reality of the of the world we're in right now. But right. Um, no, I, I've got to say, and I, I, I say this sincerely, I, I do run to work. I love going to work and I, I just love doing what we're doing. And so I'm going to I'm going to miss that part of it. Um, but it is when I say run, I, I just I just really have enjoyed the people that I've been able to associate with. And certainly the athletes and coaches that I've been able to to uh, see develop over, over the last you know a number of years there's some of them that you know come in pretty green and pretty young and mm. um, you know 20 years later they're calling back to say uh, we appreciate the support we had we wish we had to take better advantage of it uh, earlier in our life um, but that, I, I guess that's what I'll miss the most yeah the people side of it I think a lot of people people say that but that will sincerely be the, the big issue. We'll, we'll go back. I, I want to go back with you, and I want to tell a few stories. But before we do that, let's just leave CSI for a second. But I, you know, it's hard for me to swing a dead cat in this city without running into you. And it doesn't matter if it's Active City. It doesn't. I, you're everywhere. Are you bullish on Calgary? Are you bullish on sport in Calgary right now? I'm bullish on on sport in Canada. I would say one of the things that I re- really tried to do, and and we really as a as an institution is try to see how do we use sport to make Canada better. So that's that's where I'm passionate in it. I would say I, I just think there's lots of great things going on in Calgary and and um, try to try to stay involved in a lot of those things, try to go to a lot of events just to see what people are doing and to try and be a, a source of encouragement at times to to others. But I'm I'm bullish um, first of all on Canada and then I would say secondly on Alberta and thirdly on Calgary. Have you seen this before? You know, for a younger guy like, you know, some of the people we've been around at Active City, for instance, are, are some of these conversations that we're having or wanting to have or wanting to start, are they similar to conversations that you've seen started in the past? No, I think the Active City conversations are much more inclusive and, and much, much broader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think conversations we've had in the past and we keep having them annually is because they're they're too much just singularly focused on an issue as an example i think the active city has been very good at really um i guess uh, 
spurring a conversation and engaging people that are in quote unquote the sector, but have a different role in the sector. So I, I've really enjoyed um, certainly the, the recent webinars that have been held. Um, I think they've been tremendous. And I, I really applaud David Finch and David Lake for what they're doing in terms of trying to drive the community forward. But there's no sense of, geez, we've been here before. We banged our head against this wall. I, I'm just trying to, you know, this is such an interesting city in, in its history and the things it's achieved and some of its failures. I, I just wonder if sometimes you feel like, well, no, it's your it's your turn, guys. You do it. But, you know, we've kind of seen this before. I don't think we've seen it as as the collective okay. uh, that we're seeing now. Um, so, yeah, so, some of them we have addressed, um, you know, when it looks at facilities and the need for facilities, because a lot of them were built in the you know, centennial year, um, the need for new investment. Those are those are issues we fight, you know, every day or every year. But what I've seen now is a, a much more um, collective interest in, in trying to work together and, and, and address these. Uh, in conversation with Dale Hanwood, our guest uh, here on the Original Six Feet Conversation podcast uh, for Sport Calgary. Speaking of Sport Calgary, tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events? Visit www.sportcalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. When did, when do you, what's the earliest memory you have of sport, Dale? What What's the earliest memory that you go back to in being involved? Well, I grew up in Red Deer, but I, I, I just remember uh, it was the, it, the word was uh, tiny mites in the days. I remember playing in a minor hockey night tournament. I was likely, I'm going to say, I was likely six or seven years of age, um, playing in the big arena, playing indoors. Um, so that's that's a long time ago. But that would be one of my first memories. But we just always we were playing flag football or football. Uh, we played lacrosse. We played hockey, baseball. Um, we just were always active on the, in the, in the outdoors anytime we could be. But my first memory would, would be that minor hockey night in Red Deer, um, many, many years ago. Did you have a favorite growing up? Was there one that was more important than the others? Uh, sport? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, I, I really enjoyed hockey and I enjoyed baseball, um, later on fastball, but I, I used to play both of those sports and, uh, um, but you know, eventually you have to make a choice. And, um, and I did tried to try to see if I was a hockey player and I, I wasn't, but, uh, I really enjoyed trying to, to see if I was one. Were you, were you always one that if I had known you at that time, would I have said, you know, Dale's a really good hockey player, but one day he's going to be a coach. One day he's going to be a leader in sport. Were you always destined to be that or have follow that path? No, I would say Rob, um, like I obviously I and I, I kind of say this jokingly, but there's some truth to it. I, I, I wanted to be a player. I wanted to be a hockey player, and I was I was pretty good. Like we won a national championship in in uh, when I was in Red Deer. Mm-hmm. Um, the same year, actually went to a national uh, baseball uh, Canadian finals in baseball. But um, I love that. By when the way. I realized that I wasn't going to be a a player. Um, I was very interested in coaching, partially because I had a couple coaches that really enjoyed and other coaches that were maybe not as good. And I said, if if I'm going to get into this business, I don't want to be, I want to be like a certain group, but not like the other group. So people like, uh, I was very fortunate to play with, uh, with Claire Drake for a number of years. 
Um, and then when I realized I wasn't a, a very good coach, I got into sport administration and I got really connected with people like um, Claire Drake again and Dave King and George Kingston and um, you know Tom or Ken Hitchcock, I should say, Ken Hitchcock, Perry Pern. There was just a lot of good people in the Alberta program in the early in the early 80s. And um, I think many of them went on to be great professional coaches. But um, it was more, I once I did, re- realized I wasn't a good enough player, I thought I would be a coach. And then when the players realized I wasn't a good enough coach, I got into administration. <laughs> Dale, and I, I, I have loved it, yeah. Dale, what was the, was it Claire that was kind of the linchpin to everything? Was Claire the one that kind of broad? Because as you read off that, that cadre of coaches that's pretty incredible talent for three or four decades but to all be there at one time in this province was pretty amazing it was amazing like so when i was with um from 1980 to 86 i was with hockey alberta alberta amateur hockey association in the days but in 1980 um it was alberta's 75th anniversary and we got some money to uh, have these these uh what was the start of the program of excellence with hockey canada in the day Mm -hmm. Uh, we had these pro- provincial camps, and uh, we we organized them where we had at least uh, basically two uh, midget age players from each one of the midget clubs in the in the province. And I reached out to people like Claire Drake and George Kingston and and uh, Dave King to see if they would come in and and instruct for a week. And they all said yes. And then over time, you know, that's when the Ken Hitchcocks and and uh, you know, many others got involved in the uh, in the program, but uh, Claire would be the one. He was unbelievable at sharing information. Yeah, um, he was just he he just told you everything he knew he knew because he would he would say, "I need you to be on your best because that makes me try to get better." And I think he he kept sharing things that way. And and George and and Dave were exactly the same. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That was the really the driving force behind his hockey hall of fame induction right that he yep. needed to be yep. there for that and i don't think people appreciated that if it wasn't for claire drake there would, would may not have been a dave king and a, and a george kingston but there wouldn't have been things like the western set of excellence there wouldn't have been all the teaching programs that came in the 80s and the 90s right yeah so even in the even in the 70s he was writing lots of materials mm-hmm. for because i think it was after the 72 soviet series there was the national coaches certification program which was a hockey program it later became the national coaching certification program but in those days he was a he was one of the key writers there was other people like tom watt who was at university of toronto and uh pierre piaget i think was at dalhousie and uh bob boucher was in atlantic canada uh Heinmarsh in um ubc there was a great group of university coaches across the country that shared a lot of a lot of information Talk to me about the Olympic program or the national team program and its importance in the 80s as well, because you have some connection to those teams too, don't you? Yeah, I was very fortunate to be involved with uh, three different Olympic programs, and so 84, 88, and 92. Um, the 84 team, was, so we started in September of 83, um, and just, just in, in those days... We used to practice at 6 a.m. in the morning at the corral, so we'd practice from 6 to, to 8. Um, and then the players would, in some cases, go to school. But um, it was it was a very interesting year in that we we would practice. It was kind of from September to um, 
well, September to February was when the Olympics were, but it was, it was a team in being. We were, we had a number of players. There were some coming in and out, but the bulk of the team stayed together for that uh, four or five months. So I would always say we, we didn't necessarily have the best players, but we had the best prepared players. So it wasn't like um, many other team candidates, they would kind of announce the team and they'd show up at the airport and put on a Canadian jersey and then play the next day. Yeah. That was when you had the best players. Um, we didn't necessarily have the best players. We had some very good players, but they were always well prepared. And I would say that Dave Kingston's and and others um, that were involved in the program and coaching at the time, Guy Sharon and Tom Watt and uh, in 92, I think Terry Crisp, um, those players were always well prepared. I I remember lovingly the barnstorming tours that those teams would go on. Did you enjoy them as much as guys like me remember? Because it always seemed like it could be the Russians, it could be the Norwegians, but you came to town, you put on a coaching yeah. clinic, you played the game, you had a potluck afterwards. Yeah, that, those were those were great times all over the every province, every um, you know every year there was a kind of a, a different emphasis. But it always, and I would say that was part of Dave's philosophy was he usually had some kind of a coaching clinic before the. Mm-hmm before the game um there would be some kind of reception after the game but it was very much to draw the whole community in uh but yeah that, that those were those were great times to saw lots of different spots in canada that's for sure yeah uh, what about the european competition because there are some that i think forget there were some pretty big victories at Ivestia and some other tournaments wasn't there for those groups there was like in uh 19 19- 1987, December of 87, mm-hmm. we had won the Izvestia tournament in in Lushniki Stadium in Moscow. Um, so that was a that was a big event. Um, that was the first time since 72 that a team had beat the Russians in their in their backyard. But I would say um, if you look at it over time, we we went to many different tournaments. Um, always did very well. Uh, whether the, the Spangler Cup tournaments is an example or. Mm-hmm. Other tournaments, but, but but the Izvestia tournament just before Christmas every year was always a highlight. What what was your role, um, Dale? Without knowing, because we're talking about going to communist Russia, you know, with no cell phones, with all of the you know hinder. Did, uh, there has to be some stories of of you know difficulties and challenges overcome to play in some of these places. Well, a couple things. Um, first of all, my role I was I was more working with with the goaltenders. Okay. Um, but I, I guess the 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 challenge was um, at times we would we would fly in and get there at two o'clock in the afternoon, and we would practice that afternoon and then play that night. Um, again, we we did one year we, we played a interlocking series with the in the NCAA so we would fly from Calgary to Toronto um, on a Friday um, drive down to whether it was Michigan Michigan State Ohio whatever it is um, play Saturday Sunday and then fly home and we did that every weekend but it didn't Dave never really worried about winning those games it was it was trying to prepare ourselves for the games in February and and so we just had lots of different opportunities. Um, there were some great tournaments in, in Europe, and at times um, we would get there. We'd be, players would be tired. We'd be long bus rides, but we, we would still continue to to play and practice and then have to have the game that night. 
Dave didn't worry too much about rest. <laughs> no, the man ran every day for, for all those years. So he set a pretty high bar. Does. It still does. still does. No, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, two things that come yeah. out of that answer. I'll hold on to one for now. But uh, tell me a, a, a little bit about the NHL component. Because you would play, that team would play the Oilers and the Flames in the preseason, right? Yeah, one. I remember one time we played, I think it was the, the Team Canada before the 87 Canada Cup, if I'm not mistaken, we played in, in, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in Newfoundland, and I think we lost 12 nothing actually. <laughs> but um, halfway through the game, we kind of traded some players because <laughs> to try and make it, it a little closer than, than it was. But we we did have uh, like in in 84, you couldn't have any National Hockey League players. Actually, the night before the Olympics started, there was two players that had had some NHL experience and they were, they were disqualified. Oh, in 88, we were allowed, I believe to have five players that were on the NHL roster, but basically I think it was players 16 to 20 on the roster. So we, we had five players we could, we could pick up really at the last minute. Um, 92, we had a few other players. We had like Dave Tippett, I think joined us and Sean Burke. They had been playing in the national hockey league. They had, they had joined us in 92, but there was just lots of different um, experiences. We played a lot against some NHL teams just, uh, again, to try to try and get better or to really stretch us. So you did, you mentioned a couple answers ago, and i got to go to the – so you were a goalie coach in the early incarnation of goalie coaches. What was that like? Well, I, I would say that's, a, again, a, um, kind of the, the vision of Dave um, – when he asked me to do it, we—I I would say that, like in '84, I think it was Darren Elliott and Mario Gosselin were the goaltenders we, we had. Right. Uh, but they were very receptive to to learning new things and having, I think, appreciated having someone that was maybe uh, taking a little bit more interest in them, them than just being a target. <laughs> um, in '88, we had Andy Moog and Sean Burke, and we had lots of along the way because in the intervening years, we had you know we had Trevor Kidd, we had. We had uh, Eddie Balfour, uh, Warren Skordinsky. We had lots of lots of good goaltenders. That uh, Craig Billington was another, another one I remember working with that was just excellent at trying to to um, get better, but also share other things that he had with the other goaltenders. So um, it, it might have been one of the early, um, I guess, early specialized positions. But I would say that's a tribute to Dave. So I purposefully kind of tried to avoid the '88 conversation because I want to take you back. Your day job was running the Alberta Amateur or a Hockey Association, right? The Alberta Hockey Association. Did you, as in that role, have much to do with the planning in the run-up to '88? No, actually, in in '88, I was living in uh, Saint Albert at the time. I had worked with Hockey Alberta, yeah, um, until '86, and um, we had received. It was called the Alberta Olympic Game Plan. So the there was I think it was four million dollars that was provided to the winter sports mm-hmm. to try and get get them prepared for '88. Because in 1984, there's only two Albertans on the Olympic team: Dave Donnelly from St. Albert, and apologies, I forget who the other person was. Um, but the the plan was to say, how do we get more Albertans? The, the goal in the day was to try and get 20 percent of of the officials, 20% of the athletes from Alberta on the 88 team. But I would say most of the, a lot of the resources went to sports like 
biathlon and cross country and bobsleigh and luge because we didn't even know what those sports were in 84 right or in 81 when we got the games um so we we did but i i was not involved in kind of the the preparation um for the 88 games because i was i was coaching with the program at the time so i didn't have time to be involved kind of as a as a volunteer administrator what was the feel like what was the atmosphere like i mean and this is obviously a connected question because we just went through the plebiscite a couple of seasons ago um what was that build up to 88 like in the province uh, it was an exciting time. I, th- I think from the time the games were announced in, in I think it was September of 81, I, I just think there was the the, the, the community, the, the the province really did uh, focus on the, the big event. I don't think they realized how big it was. Um, and, but I would say that the, the enthusiasm, the number of people that came forward to volunteer and, and wanted to be part of it, um, like it, it was just a, it, it was a, uh, it was very much uh, escalating on a, I'm going to say on a daily or a weekly basis. And when it really happened, um, it really drew the community together. And I would say drew it together for not just those two weeks, but for like the at least 10 years after those games. There's an old adage in my old business, which is you, you never want to cover the briar in your hometown. Um, what was it like mm. working in Calgary, you know, being in, in Olympics in your own backyard, what was it like competing? Well, first of all, I, I think um, because we did a lot of scouting of games, the, the way in 88, there was just the one arena, the, the Saddle Dome. Um, so it was hockey one night and it was, and we, there was a little bit in Father Bauer also, and a couple games were played in the corral. But for the most part, it, it was hockey in the Saddle Dome and on one night and then figure skating the second night. So I, I think I was able to watch portions of like 39 the 42 games in the Oof. in the tournament. Wow! So it didn't give you a lot of opportunity. I, I went out to ski jumping one day and it was it was too windy or too nice, whatever it was, and, <laughs> and, and so it was canceled. But that's the only other opportunity I had to get out because we we're just so engrossed in what we we're doing from a from a, a planning and preparation standpoint for, for the team. So what was 89-90 like? You know, this Olympics was just held. Everybody loved it. It left everybody with, we had all these great stories. What were the next couple of years like for, for hockey, but for sport in Alberta? Well, I think they were they were good times for sport because we were still still living off the, the glow from, from, uh, from 88. And so I would say that stayed, you know, there were still some financial resources available from likely 88 to maybe 91 or 92. And mm-hmm. then from then on, they... They haven't changed in the last 27 years, but I, I would say it was a it was a real big time for sport. And I would say um, you, that's that's when I think a lot of our good coaches were were developed. A lot of our good coaches were exposed to um, some different things that were happening throughout the world. And that's really where I think people got excited about being a coach in in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years and there were and you kind of touched on this but one of the legacies out of that olympics was the western center of excellence which was at the saddle dome if i remember correctly and and a lot of guys you mentioned there was lots of dave king videos there was lots of claire drake videos. there was for coaches it was kind of there was just all of this information that was there it was interesting to your point like it was kind of a golden time to be a coach Money uh, provided by the, um, I think it's called Flames Project 75 that, that allowed us to do some right. videos. Um, but that, again, was was Dave's mantra all the time of trying to, you know, break things down, teach it, share it. 
Um, so there was a lot of resources, I would say, for hockey that were made available. And eventually those centers of excellence went to, I think, pretty well every NHL city. Um, but there's, again, hockey just has, um, I, I think, some unbelievable resources that they share, not only across the country, but across the world to try and make the game better. So you mentioned three Olympics for you. It was 84, yes. 88, 92. So what, 92. what happens for Dale Henwood in the summer of 92? <laughs> Anything? After it's a, those Olympics? Yeah. Yeah. Well, after those, so, so those Olympics were in, um, in um, Elberville, France, and we ended up second. Um, in the summer of 92, um, I'm trying to think what happened in the summer of 92, but um, that, that's really when uh, they had made a decision, not, not in 92, I don't think, but they had made a decision because they wanted to have the winter and summer games staggered. Right. So, the, 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 the games then became 94. So there was an opportunity for some players anyway to stay 92 and 94. You could get two Olympics in, in a three-year period. Um, Tom Rennie, I think, was a coach in – yeah, he was in 94. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, for, for me, I, I kind of I, – I made a transition actually in March of, of 94 where I left um, in the day I was with – it was called Alberta Sport Connect – Alberta Sport Council. Yeah. Um, and I had, so I'd left hockey, Alberta, went to the Alberta sport council, but was still working with hockey Canada in the day. Um, and then I started this job with the Canadian sport Institute, um, in April of 1994. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it was, it was a bit of a lull year. There was, I wasn't involved in, in the coaching, so I could kind of concentrate just on the one job only. Um, but, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't even recall exactly what the summer of '92 was like, but I would say it was a bit of a down summer. <laughs> Were you okay walking away from coaching from that level of coaching? Were you okay? Was that was it time or? Yeah, it, it was time. I I, I was uh, like it was it was you know it was it was kind of selfish I would say for me to be away as much much as I was. I I unfortunately missed. Um, our kids growing up, I missed birthday parties and those mm-hmm. kind of things. Sure. And I think we have two great kid, kids today because of my, my wife. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so when you look at things, um, yeah, it, it, I had, I had a great, a great opportunity. I was very blessed to have the opportunity I have, but it was a matter of, of kind of staying home a little bit more. And once I got involved with the Canadian Sport Institute, I just got the, the opportunity to go and see many other sports. And so, my hockey uh, involvement was replaced by involvement in, in many other sports. And I've, I've really enjoyed that, that uh, since those days. So you mentioned 94, 26 years ago, was it a leap of faith or had you built up to this job, Dale, which would you look at it back then? No, it was a leap of faith in that um, I had a very good job, but the, a couple people from the federal government and the coaching association of Canada fell by the name of, of Jeff Gowan, who has since passed, to John Bales uh, from the Coaching Association, um, and some people from Sport Canada said we we need to look at what we're doing in Canada. Uh, we had what we called in the day a podium problem, where, where Canadian athletes were kind of consistently five, six, seven, eight, and we said let's look at what other countries are doing. There wasn't the same dollars uh, going to sport as there was uh, leading up to '88. 
but they said, would you be willing uh, to try and look at a multi-sport concept in Canada? We hadn't, we hadn't uh, had one. We had single sport, like the volleyball, national volleyball team was in Calgary in the time. There was a national weight training or weight lifting uh, center in Montreal, but mm. they basically came to the province um, and to Coda Windsport in the day and the university and said, would, would you be willing partners to see if we can put together this on a pilot basis? It was a three-year pilot program they wanted to try. And um, everyone said, yes, let's give it a shot. I would say within, with, well, before the pilot was over, um, we had other institutes or centers uh, established across the country what, based on the success of the Calgary one. What was it? Because I think, you know, it would take a, a decade or so but there seems, from my vantage point, a bit of awakening taking place early, mid-90s to into the 2000s of, of Canada, how we view ourselves as athletes, how we view ourselves as... We've always viewed ourselves globally through our sports, have we not? I mean, 72 is our busy, you know, one of our biggest successes because we garnered the world stage. But it seems to me that there was the Open Ice Summit, but then there was Own the Podium would come after mm. that. There was this kind of awakening in Canada. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I would say that would really happened in in my mind leading up to the Vancouver Olympics, and and it was more, um, someone's going to win. Why not us? Right. You know? And and uh, um, you know, we we were we were always uh, I think polite and happy to kind of just be in the game. But we, I, I would say, there's a real attitudinal change in the kind of eighty. Sorry, ni- ni- um. Uh, 2005 to 2010 period that okay. said, uh, let's try and do what we can to make sure we do well at home. And I would say that's how the Canadian public got a lot more engaged in in sport and their interest in sport um, beyond kind of professional sport because they they saw what sport did in terms of unifying the, the country. Um, again, I just recall in Vancouver, people walking down the street, streets uh, draped in flags and their yeah. faces painted with a flag and spontaneously singing O Canada. Um, that was just a real turning point, I think, for, for the country and, and for the image of the country and for a sport in this country. But do you think that the work that was done in the mid-90s to, 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 to mm-hmm. set up CSI and, and other groups across the country, that it began to turn in that direction? Absolutely. I, I, I would say that the the introduction of the these institutes across the country really did focus um the the athletes provided them with a lot more support a lot different support uh, much longer ter- term support more expertise and i would say that did set the the ground so that when we did uh, get the opportunity to host in vancouver we were very well prepared Are, is it now ingrained in us do you think not to get too far ahead, but, you know, we were talking about some of the gender equality, but I go to 2016 and the women kicked ass. I mean, in Rio, the women yep. really led. Um, do, do you think we've we've evolved Is part of our I mean, we're a young country. Did we mature as that and as an athletic nation? Yeah, I, I think we are maturing. I, I think that, um, you know, there's lots of countries now that are that are really, really specializing in certain events in Canada. We still. I would say put equal emphasis on both summer and winter mm-hmm. and on Olympic and Paralympic. That doesn't happen in many other countries. Um, so if, if you looked at our performances in, again, summer, winter, Olympic and Paralympic, I think we are 
like we're we're a we're kind of a top eight in the world uh, when you look at all of those combined, and, and that's pretty good for a country of our size. In the media, every once in a while, somebody will stir the pot and go, "Ah, we should put all of our resources into the winter and forget the summer." Have, have those types of theoretical conversations ever been held in your presence? Yes, um, yeah. There's a there's a. I, I guess anytime you're having a funding discussion, it's. If we don't have, have enough money to go around, do we specialize even more than we are today? Um, but I would say if, if you just look at the number of good baseball players we have in Canada that are playing in the major leagues, the number of basketball players, yep. uh, what's going on in tennis, uh, you know, uh, players from Canada, they are soccer players that are playing in Europe. Like we, yep. we have some very, very good summer athletes as well. So, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that is, is good is, is that we are. As I mentioned earlier, we are providing lots of opportunities, summer, winter, Olympic, Paralympic, and even sports beyond those, those Olympic and Paralympic. We, we fund lots of other sports, sports that are not part of that Olympic or Paralympic program. And I would say that's a, that's a testament to the, to the country and, and how we embrace sport. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about CSI that you, know, you chair a board of similar groups around the world. Where do you think we fit? Because for many years it was Australia and Canada, and we'd always get slotted. Somebody would slot us. But, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the totality of sport, where do we fit nowadays globally? Well, that's where I said, if you were just to look at it from a strictly medal performance, winter, summer, Olympic, Paralympic, I, I believe we are seventh in the world. So that's that's behind Russia and China and US, um, much bigger nations right. than we are. But Absolutely. when you look at all of those all of those um, those four different um, segments together, to be, be seventh or eighth in the world is a tremendous uh, compliment to the country um, and our uh, the commitment that our athletes and coaches have to to getting better on a daily basis. Was two thousand and ten the coolest Canadian moment you've had in that, in sport? I think so. Um, just we had an opportunity to spend a lot of time for both the Olympics and the Paralympics, but to be in that environment and just to, to see how the Canadian athletes performed, to see how how um, the country rallied around them. Uh, it was yeah, it was it was absolutely a special time. Um, was hoping we could do it again in five years, but that's we won't talk about that anymore <laughs> or six years, I guess. But yeah, we won't talk about it today. Um, no. All right. My, I love this question to an athlete, and I think it, it's a great one to ask you. Dale, when you put your head down on your pillow and you're just about to fall asleep, what sporting event is the one that pops into your head? What is there a game that always will stand out for you that's special for any particular reason or an event that's special for any particular reason? Well, when I look right you know, two feet beside me, I see uh, Sports Illustrated uh, 2010 Olympic uh, uh, greatest games ever. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's an, a, a, a particular performance. Yep. I think there's, there's many of them that have, that have happened over time. Uh, um, but those games I would say would be the, would be the one big event, but there's just so many tremendous, you know, when you look at Becky Scott and what she did from, you know, third to second to first, you look at Katrina Maidon and her double medals, you look at, um, you know, you look at our hockey performances, men and women, um, you look at our speed skater, like there's, there's just been some very good, very good performances over the years that we should be proud of. All right, sir. Uh, my last question for you is the one that I ask everybody on this podcast. I will give you no parameters. You can answer it any way you like. 
Um, but give me Dale Henwood's Hidden Calgary Gem. Your Hidden Calgary Gem. The intent of this podcast is we get through this pandemic. We want to give people some things to look forward to on the other end. So we're trying to collect hidden Calgary gems. That's the only parameter I'm going to put on it. A, a gem meaning a, an event or a facility? A, or A restaurant, um, a coffee yeah. shop, a park. I've heard oh. it all. I just want yours. When you hear that, what's the hidden Calgary gem for you? Oh, my family. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if... Um, Hmm. My my gem is my grandson. Cool. We have one grandson, and that's his name is Caden, and um, gets me me excited every day. He'll be nine this week, and uh, that's that's what keeps me going. Trying to make sure that the world is better for him. That might be the best one so far. Dale, a pleasure. Thank you. Um, thank you for your service to our country, obviously, but thanks for spending some time. I really enjoyed this. You were one of the guys I wanted to talk to initially on this podcast because who better represents sport in Calgary than Dale Henwood? That's how I look at it. Thank you very much, Rob. Appreciate it. Dale Henwood, who, uh, as we found out in this program, um, is going to be replaced by Len Rhodes, uh, who has a, uh, a substantial track record, uh, particularly up north in the CFL. Uh, he will replace uh, Dale as the uh, president and CEO of the Canadian Sports Institute. My guess is we have not heard nor seen the last of Dale Henwood, uh, but really appreciate the conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it, as a matter of fact. Um, looking forward to seeing what the next chapter is. Thanks to Dale. Thanks to all of our guests. If you uh, have tuned in here in the last little while, you may have caught Jermaine Franklin. Uh, we had some really cool conversations with the likes of uh, Cassie Campbell, Pascal. Um, geez, uh, Katrina LeMay Doan was our first guest. All kinds of uh, exciting guests, and and on the and we got some on the come. I mean, we we got some coming that are going to be really good. So check it out if you can. Uh, head on over to Spotify or to Apple Podcasts and uh, sign up. Become a subscriber. We'd love to have you. Thanks to everybody at Sport Calgary, and thanks to you for tuning in. This has been the original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca.